This is Helping of Happiness, episode number 177. This is Hilary Hess, and we are talking today to Diana Elder and Nicole Dyer from Family Locket, all about doing family history in your own unique way. Uh, welcome back. It's so fun to have you guys here listening. Thank you so much for being here today. So we have a little bit of terminology that I wanted to go over today. We're, we're talking about family history, and one of the main websites that we talk about here is Family Search. Family Search, it's a nonprofit organization and it's great because it's it's this free website and it like helps you search billions of ancestor profiles, photographs, historical documents. Um, doesn't cost anything. You can sign up and then you can try to connect your family and find different ancestors using censuses and different gravestones. And I mean, it's just like this huge archive of historical documents. So we reference that a little bit. We also reference the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints a little bit. Sometimes you'll hear them say LDS, that's Latter-day Saint. And they talk about our guests are members of that church and so am I. And we also talk about wards and stakes, and those are just different groups of our congregation. A ward is your local congregation that's smaller. A stake is made up of several different wards, and and it takes up a larger geographical area. So just so you know, that's what that terminology is and what it means. And before we get into this, I just want to remind you that we have some great things going on our YouTube channel right now. We've got episodes of our podcast are now on there for the first time. We also have, so you can listen through there if you'd rather listen there than through your podcast app. And then we've also got lots of food videos. We've got some home hacks, lots of travel tips, and uh, we'd love to have you come visit us over there. And if you want even more from us, sign up for our to be one of our VIPs. We have a newsletter that goes out a couple of times a month, and we send out lots of bonus content. We show anytime we've had a podcast air, we'll send up some little information about that as well, so that you can just keep up with us with all the fun things we have going. So. Without any further ado, I can't wait to introduce you to Diana and Nicole. Well, I'm super excited to have our guests on today. We've got Diana Elder and her daughter, Nicole Dyer. And this is going to be so fun. We're going to talk about family history, which I want to get more involved in. My dad is super involved and he's actually had Diana do a lot of work for him, um, hiring her services out. And so I'm really just thrilled to learn more myself because I'm always scared of messing anything up that he has together. So welcome, Diana and Nicole. Hello. Hi, Hillary. Thanks for having us on. Hi. So first, before we get started, can we talk about you and your family a little bit? Diana, do we want to start with you? Sure. Since I am the older one here, <laughs> without me, Nicole wouldn't be here. So um, I was born and raised in Idaho, Burley, Idaho. If anybody's heard of that, kind of a small town in Southern Idaho. And I attended Brigham Young University, which is where I met my husband. We met in PE 180, which is a ballroom dance class, which is fun. super fun. And I studied elementary education and taught fourth grade for two years before he graduated and we moved to Seattle, which is where he is from. And we lived the next 17 years in Seattle and loved that. We had had one baby in Provo, Utah, and then had the other four children in Seattle. So I have a total of five children and I have 11 grandchildren now. So we are loving, you know, seeing our young grandchildren grow and be born and hanging out with them. We actually moved to Highland, Utah in 2002. So I was in Idaho, Seattle and Highland now just about the same amount of years in each one. So it's been fun. Awesome. So great. And just a quick little backstory. You mind me telling our friends listening that you had a connection to our last guest which I had no clue of we had grandpa Beck on last month and you guys grew up with the Becks which is well Nicole's grew up with the Becks you guys raised your kids together so that was really fun so if you haven't listened to that episode go back and listen to that I had no idea of that connection that was really so fun that you guys have that <laughs> yep yep we love the Becks love we car them. carpooled and babysat for each other and 
played games together. Guess, guess where their love of games came from. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you guys tried them all out in those early well, times. I in love those it. early years, they hadn't created all those. We played other games, but it's been really fun to see what they've come up with. Oh, that is so much yeah. fun. So, so fun. Love that connection. Well, Nicole, let's hear a little bit about you. Tell us about you and what you're doing. All right. Well, I obviously lived in Seattle in my childhood. <laughs> and then when I was 16, we moved to Utah. And so I had a couple of years of high school in Seattle and a couple of years in Highland and loved both places. I went to Brigham Young University where I met my husband. And I love that uh, you guys have that same story. That's so right? fun. <laughs> well, we all grew up thinking we're going to BYU just like mom and dad. <laughs> So when I got there, I thought maybe I should study family history because when I was, you know, with my mom as a teen, I loved family history, but I thought, no, you can't have a career in that. I better have something where I could work if I need to. So I ended up studying history teaching and I taught school for a little while before my first child was born. We ended up moving to Tucson, Arizona um, for my husband's work. And that's where our kids were born. And we have five kids. So awesome. Five of those 11 grandchildren. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We kind of do the same thing with our family. We really hog the grandchildren pool. We've got seven kids. So we, we, we love to supply the grandchildren for my parents. It's kind of fun. <laughs> so fun. Oh, it's so good to get to know you, Nicole. Okay. So you guys have this great family history. Do you call it more genealogy or family history? I don't know what you guys love, what term you love more, but, um, business called Family Locket. And I would love for you to tell me how it got started and where your love of family history began. Well, maybe we should start with where our love of family history began and then tell about Family yeah, Locket. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> My mom has a fun story about that. Okay. So when I was growing up, my parents were always involved in family history. My dad was a convert to the LDS Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, you know, with that focus on family history, they were really fortunate that in their local ward, there was a woman who was fabulous with family history and research. And my dad grew up in the South. So he was from Oklahoma and Texas, and all of his ancestors were out of the South. So she had them start writing letters to all of the all of the people that he knew, his aunts and great aunts and grandparents. And so he gathered information and did the old fashioned census, turning the microfilm, all of that. And he had gotten as far as he could, but I, I didn't do anything, you know, back then. I think I took one class in, during Sunday school and compiled a book of remembrance, wrote my history, which was great that I did that, but I wasn't involved in the research at all. But I kept feeling like I needed to get started in doing this. And when we moved to Utah, I finally had time on my hands because nobody knew me. I wasn't volunteering at school. I, I didn't have a big church calling. I just basically didn't have any friends yet. You know how that goes. And so yeah. I found family history as something that I could start doing. And I talked to my dad and I said, do you have something I can do? And he said, you know what? I am too tired. I'm getting old. I can't use the computer. It just gives me a headache. I'm just going to give you everything. And I said, okay, that's so great. And he said, well, your mother and I are going to go to Hawaii and I'll meet you at the Salt Lake airport. Cause they still live in Idaho. And so we, we met at the airport and he had put everything into a suitcase. This, this old suitcase and gave it to me. I was so excited to come home and get all his papers. And I really thought that it would be organized. And it was really just a bunch of papers, <laughs> file folders, some, I mean, it was, it was a mess. But luckily, our local uh, stake here, you know, that's another jurisdiction of, of the church, had a family history conference going on. And so I went to that and I went to classes on getting organized and I just started learning how to do family history, how to do genealogy, real research. And that was my beginning. And I was so excited. I came home and spent that whole winter organizing those papers, putting together the family tree and the old personal ancestral file program. And then I got Nicole started that next summer because 
you know, I don't know, Nicole, why did you get started with me? I can't remember. <laughs> why things. did you like this? <laughs> there were a lot of things happening. You know, one of the things I always say when I talk about this is that I was um, a little bit disappointed to not make the high school volleyball team. And so I had a little more time on my hands too. And also I had always loved history. My eighth grade teacher, seventh and eighth grade honors history and English teacher had given us so many fun projects with history that I just already loved it. And, and so when you started working on the computer and, and the internet was kind of new, um, ancestry and family search had websites. It was just kind of fun. I loved technology. I loved history. And I just remember the moment where I had been searching for a census record for one of our female ancestors and you were out in the garden and I, was searching ancestry and found her on the 1850 census. And I ran outside and said, mom, I found Eliza Eisenhower. <laughs> and it was just such a fun moment to feel like I could do something helpful for this work that you were doing. And, and we just kind of started going forward together. One of my favorite things was copying all the stories from your and dad's book of remembrance and putting them into my own binder. So mm -hmm. I remember you helped me pick out my own book of remembrance binder. And I just started making with all the different tabs. I had a tab for all the stories a tab for the pedigree charts, a tab for the pictures. And I loved organizing that. <laughs> it was just part of my personality, I guess, was just a joy of putting things together in a book. Well, and I you digitized those histories. Remember you, you typed those up and made them digital so they could be uploaded, which was fabulous. I love that. That's well, they so were great. printed on the wrong size. They were on like the long, the wide pages. And I wanted, my binder was the other way. So <laughs> I needed to retype them so I could print them on the correct size paper. <laughs> well, and I love that because then your other family members can have that as well. I bet that that's so special for them to be able to have access to that digitally. That's so cool. So I did notice that you guys specialize more in the South of the United States in a lot of your work. So is that because your family comes from there, from your dad, from the South, Diana's oh, dad? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's really hard research. I did not realize that research was not as hard in other places until mm -hmm. I started doing some client work and realized that some other locations have better records and it makes it easier. So we were just used to this really hard research and it still is really hard. We still have brick walls that we're working on, but yeah, that did really lead to my becoming accredited in the Gulf South region of the United States because I wanted to learn better. I felt like I had done everything I could. I'd learned everything I could and I knew there had to be more that I could learn. And so back then I didn't realize there were all these genealogy conferences on the big scale and so much other learning. You know, we only, we don't know what we don't know. And mm -hmm. that's, that's what I really learned. So it was because of Nicole that I became accredited. She had said to me in 2015, uh, mom, do you think you might ever want to get a credential? And I knew about this AGCG thing, but I didn't think I could do that. And so I went to the Brigham Young University Family History Conference, and they had a whole track on how to become accredited. And about halfway through, I thought, oh, I think I could do this. I really want to do this. So it was perfect timing for me. I was really tired of teaching piano. I'd been teaching piano for many, many years. And my youngest child was getting married. I just had more time and I wanted to do something new with my life. So I spent the next two years working on accreditation and got accredited in 2017. And in 2015 was about the same time. Nicole said she was starting a family history blog. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> I love that. Oh, that's so fantastic. Oh, I think that's such a cool story, especially if there's people that are listening that never knew that this could be a career to be doing family history and genealogy. I think that's really cool. Then how did Family Locket come about? Once you guys, that's your history of why you love family history, right? And I love that, <laughs> uh, Nicole, when you said that you were inspired by a history teacher, shout out to those teachers, right? I mean, you just never know when you're going to be making that difference. I think that that's so, so amazing. So, okay. So how did you get started with Family Locket? Well, at the time that we started the blog, um, which we called Family Locket, I had been listening to a podcast called Smart Passive Income by Oh, yeah, I follow him. Yes. 
Yeah. I don't remember how, I don't remember who referred me to him, but I just found his podcast, started listening to it, thought it was fun. He really talked a lot about starting a blog and just, you know, if you have something to share that could turn into a business down the road. And I thought, well, that's cool. I wonder what kind of business I would start because at that time I had been at home with my little kids for five years and hadn't been teaching. And so I thought, well, maybe it would be fun to have some kind of online business. And so my mom and I were both serving in our wards as family history consultants. And I, I thought, love mom, that you both had the same <laughs> job. That's so fun. Mom, and I was in Tucson and she was in Utah. And so we would call and talk to each other on the phone about it. And anyway, I said, we should start a blog, mom, you can write with me and we'll just share things that people we help often need to know. And I'm sure we'll have plenty of things to post about. And I like to post things about sharing family history with your kids. And so that's kind of what I started blogging about. And and then as our interests and work evolved over time, we kind of honed in on, on writing blog posts about how to research better Southern United States research, DNA evidence, and it just evolved over time. You know, we first started out writing articles for LDS people about family search and family history for kids. And then as Diana became accredited, you know, we kind of pivoted a little Robin. bit. And, yeah. Yeah. And so that's how it evolved. And it's been so fun. We just did a lecture last week or the week before um, at the Association of Professional Genealogists about the evolution of our business. And and it was fun. We looked at some screenshots from the internet archive of our blog in the early days to see what it looked like. And and yeah, it's just been such a fun place to it's share. It's fun and, to see how far it comes, isn't it? Yeah. And how it changes over time and just all the fun things we've written about. Well, I would love to get into just a little bit later, a few fun things that you do that you recommend for family families to do to get their kids involved with, with family history. If we, if I can claim a few minutes of that. Oh, I love that. Okay. So family history, as I was saying, is kind of overwhelming for me. I, my dad's family, you know, some of them, as Diana knows, goes back to just countries that languages are hard and you know I feel like my mom's family history feels done but I know that it's never done like there's always still people and then I don't know where I fit in all of it so what are some steps that we can do to just kind of get started and um, maybe have a little more confidence or purpose I mean I just I feel like I'm willy-nilly I don't even know where to start <laughs> well, I think you're not alone. There are so many people that feel the same way, especially if you get on family search and you see that your fan chart is completely filled up and you don't know what's accurate and what's not accurate. When you're first starting, you think everything's right on there. And people will say, oh, my my research is all the way back to, you know, some some crazy person. <laughs> And we're like, okay, well, that may be right, but may not be right. So some of our best clients come from people who got the email that said, you are related to a Mayflower ancestor. And then they find that we need to do a lot of work to really prove that. So it, it is fun. So what do you do when you want to get started? Well, I love that Family Search is collaborative and that you can you can add so much there. And I know in my case, I have been working, you know, on the ancestors quite a bit, but I have recently started doing some, they're called 52 ancestor blog posts and you're supposed to do one a week. I don't quite have that many done, but I've done a bunch on my dad and researched part of his life that I did not know much about. I did one about his education and found school records and put together the story of his schooling. And you would think that your parents maybe have written their histories and they probably have, my dad had written his, but they often gloss over certain parts of their life. You know, like they don't necessarily think this part is interesting to anybody else, or they don't tell you much. My dad wouldn't talk much about military. So I think it's neat to um, you know, your parents are still living and mine have passed on, but you could even maybe tackle a grandparent that you feel attached to and interested in and look on family search. Often there's just bare bones sources on there for them. You know, see if there are more things you could add or a little bit of their life that you're interested in that you could delve into and learn more about that, write a little story about that to share. So I always say just start close in with your parents and your grandparents, document them, and then 
get hooked on just finding the sources. It's really, really fun to find a census like Nicole was talking about a census. And I know when I looked up all the censuses of my dad's life, it was just so fun to see him listed there. And his name was Bobby Jean. Yeah, he was oh, he was I out love of the that. South. That's such a southern name. That's so oh yeah. Cute. And it was Bobby, but people always tried to call him Robert. And in one of the censuses, I'm sure the enumerator did not believe it was just Bobby and he put him down as Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of cracked me up because nobody in the family would have ever called him Robert. His his aunts called him Bobby until they passed away. He was always Bobby to everybody. So anyway, it's always just so fun to find those census records and learn something new about your ancestors because they didn't think it was an important piece of the story, but you can find it. I love that. That feels a lot more doable when you start close and then move out. Nicole, did you have anything on that? Yeah, I do. I, I feel like every single person can do something to be involved with family history. And I think not everyone has to be a researcher like we are. Mm. I think some people in our family, like my brother, he's really interested in technology and videos. And so my mom gave him the project of taking some of our old family videos from grandpa and putting them on YouTube for, and sharing the private link with everyone in the family. And he put those up there, broke them into little smaller pieces. So it wasn't just one big, long video. And it was easy for him and he enjoyed that. And that's doing family history too. So I think we need to just recognize like, what are my strengths? What are my talents? What do I want my contribution to this larger work of family history to be? Am I going to research and write reports? Am I going to put together a a book? I really like putting together um, books for my kids, books for myself and my aunts and uncles. Um, I did a book with all of the patriarchal blessings from our ancestors on the elder side on my dad's mm-hmm. side. And I put that with the biographies that were on family search of them. And I just put that into a book with pictures and transcribed the blessings. And that was a fun project for me to do um, before I was a researcher. So I think there's a lot of ways to interact with family history beyond just, you know, what we think of as like going and looking at the census records. And Right. I just picture myself with the microfiche, just not even knowing what to do with myself, right? Not even knowing how to turn on the machine or do anything. So uh, let's segue just a little bit into, because you said everybody can do it in a different way. So what are some ways that we can do family history with our kids? Like, how can they get involved? Sure. sure. Well, my first child is very much like me. He likes to make books. And so even when he was just like seven or eight years old, he said, mom, can you help me make a book? So some of my favorite little projects we did with my kids were just making little binders and putting a short story with a picture. And you can, you know, you can turn pictures into coloring pages. So I've done that a lot with my kids. Oh, that's such a fun idea. Yes. (laughs) They'll color the pictures and then we'll talk about the person they're coloring while we're coloring. And then we put it all in a binder and we can add to it as time goes by. Um, we have a really fun story about grandpa, Bobby Jean Schultz, where he got shot when he was a kid because they were playing cowboys and Indians. And one of the cousins found a loaded gun on top of a high cabinet. (laughs) And so that was a fun story. Grandpa always used to tell us, and I wanted to tell it to my kids. And we ended up making a little book and I found a fun little website that can help you illustrate stories with like a comic strip type of thing. So we made up little pictures in a comic strip strip style. And then we just made a book um, at blurb with that. And now we read that as a a bedtime story, which is fun. And Oh my gosh. I love it. (laughs) My favorite part of the book is at the back of the book. I put in the real pictures of each character so that they could see what they actually looked like. And then some of the actual memories of this incident from my grandpa and his sister, and his aunt. So we have the primary source material at the end. (laughs) Make sure you cite your sources, right? (laughs) I love that. Thank you for sharing that. What a fun idea. I can think of all kinds of stories that would be actually really fun to be having illustrated with my kids. They would think that was the best ever. And what a fun way to just make them feel even more connected to their family. I think that that's really cool. Right. And taking some of those stories that you just thought of now, what if you guys had a family reunion night where you do skits with those and every family who's coming (laughs) has to act them out. We did that before on our elder side and it was so entertaining and memorable. 
Okay, so my mom is going to listen to this podcast and totally want to do this at Thanksgiving when we all come into town. <laughs> she's going to think this is the best. She loves skits. So anything that would put skits and family history together, she's just be so excited. That would be super cute. I love that. So one of the fun things that I have is a big trunk that was handed down to me from a great aunt. And it's full of stuff from family. And so sometimes the kids, the grandkids, when they come, they'll say, can we look in the trunk? What's in here? And so when Nicole's kids were here one time, we opened up the trunk and we took out every single thing and told the story about it. And it was so fun because things that I didn't, hadn't really thought about for a long time, they were just fascinated with like my dad's Navy pants are in there and like little toys that I had growing up that they just thought were so neat. So that's kind of fun to have everything in one place. It's a special place to open up and, and tell stories of, and then put it all back in the trunk. And then put it away again. <laughs> and keep it, keep it there for somebody keep else. It some other grandkids. So it doesn't yep. get lost around the house. Yeah. Like it would get lost at my house for sure. Well, and some of them say, can I take this home grandma? And I'm like, Oh, maybe someday. Not yet. <laughs> put a sticky note on it in the box for you. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Oh, that is so special though. You know, my dad has a thing similar like that of keepsakes that he has, you know, just different, you know, watches or whatever from different grandparents and things. And, and I, it's always was fun for us when we were little, it was like an, I think it was in a music box when I was little and we'd open it up and like, Oh, it's so exciting to be in that little box. But I think the trunk sounds even more fun than just like, <laughs> so fun to go through all those things. It is the cool trunk. Well, I get that from my mom. She was a keeper. She's a memory keeper. She's so good. She was always the one with the photo or with the camera out and printing her photos. She was amazing. But when she was moving, downsizing from her big house of 50 years and moving into town, we went through her hope chest. And there were things in there I had no idea about. And I pulled out this red knit dress. It was a skirt and a top, beautiful. And I said, Mom, what's this? She goes, well, that's the dress I was married in to your dad. It was a second marriage. Her, her first husband had passed away. So she married my dad a second marriage. And I said, I thought it was gray. Because the picture is black and white. Right, right. And so when I saw this red dress, I was like, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> so it was so fun to see that. And my daughter, my youngest daughter was with me. My Our two youngest kids were with us. And she tried on the dress. It fit her perfectly. We took fun pictures of her in that. So it was just such a neat time for my kids who were at that time, I think early 20s, it was before they were married, um, to hear stories of you know, their grandparents and, and try on these clothes. My son tried on grandpa's green suit jacket and it was fun. So I think object stories, that's just stuff that doesn't ever get old for no, children, it just for anybody. Makes it so hands-on and so much more personal when it's not just some abstract thing, yeah. something you could touch and feel that was somebody else's that's so cool. That makes me feel like maybe I don't need to purge everything, you know, when you you're like the Marie Kondo or whatever that you got to part with everything that you have. I love that there are things that you, you can hold on to and that are special. And I love that there's a place for them in the trunk, you know, so it's not just like full of this stuff. Yeah. (laughs) So I need to clear out my hope chest and that can be my special spot. I think, I think it's full of photos right now. I think I need to do something with the photos, but I love that. I think that's special. What are some fascinating stories that you've learned or experienced through your research? Nicole, do you have some you want to tell us about? One of the first ones that I got started with was it actually started when I was at grandma and grandpa's house. Um, And grandma Schultz was telling me about our handcart pioneer ancestor. Her name is Sarah Jane Bradley. And of course she was already in my binder. And there was a story that was written about her that I had read and I really liked it. It was neat to hear about how challenging her experience was as a 14 year old crossing the plains with the handcart pioneers. And, but then when I visited grandma one time, she said, Oh, I got a new um, update on that ancestor. There's new research on it. And she gave me a paper that talked about how this ancestor wasn't who she said she was. And she was actually taking her sister's name to get cheaper passage on the ship over and all these things. And it just seemed a little fishy to me. 
And I thought, hmm, that's weird. I think I was in college at this time. I don't remember exactly when it was. It was later in my teen years. And so I thought, I'm going to research this and I'm just going to clear her name. I don't think she changed her name. I'm going to, I'm going to overturn this new research that was done by someone else. (laughs) So I really dove into that and started uncovering more sources back in England and newspaper articles in the um, family history basement of the BYU library. And I was looking in microfilms and just really diving in a little bit deeper than what I had done before. And so what I found was that there was a baptismal record in England for a little baby um, named Sarah Jane uh, Miller, actually. And her mother's name was Ann Miller. And this was the same mother of Sarah Jane Bradley. And so I finally figured out that Sarah Jane was illegitimate. And so she actually went by her mother's last name, which was Miller before her marriage. But on her later records, she did say that her father was Thomas Bradley. So people had started giving her the last name of Bradley because that's what they assumed was her last name. But before her marriage, she was always Sarah Jane Miller. Well, there was this baptism for a little girl who died right after. Um, And so that's why the researcher had assumed that a sister, Elizabeth took on her dead sister's name so that she could appear younger and come across. But that, that baptism record was just for another baby, a different child. And, um, Ann Miller had a child named Sarah Jane a couple years after that baptism and then subsequent death of the infant. And that wasn't recorded. she never baptized that baby. She just only recorded the birth with the government, which started recording births around that time. So, there just wasn't a baptismal record. And the researcher just got confused. Why isn't there a baptismal record? There should be one. And so that's why the researcher kind of came up with this other story. Well, I found one of the other pieces of evidence I found to show that that story wasn't true was that there was an Elizabeth and a Sarah, and both of them lived to adulthood. And they actually kept in touch. Elizabeth stayed in England. Sarah came to the US. They both had children. And I met, I don't remember. Oh, I found a blog. And a guy was talking about his ancestor, Elizabeth Miller. And I contacted him and he said, oh, I got all my information from a 90 year old man who's a descendant of Elizabeth and his name is Malcolm. And so I got his address and I wrote him a letter. Well, he sent me a letter back and I love it. When you get letters from England, it has like a fun stamp on it. It says like the queen's post or something like that. Oh, that's so fun. And he had all this information. He said he had a picture of Sarah's son because he came on a mission and found them to see his cousins in England. And so they had his missionary picture. And so it was really fun to make these connections, to debunk this other story that had come out and to find all this other information and connections in England and just tracing that sister Elizabeth forward. She had moved away from the county of their birth. So it hadn't been connected by the other researcher, but, and then since then I've even found DNA matches between the two families. So it's been just a really fun experience to, to uncover that. And it started with wanting to find out if a story that seemed sketchy was true or not. I love that you're like this detective. It's so, so fun. What a cool way to, to view your family and clearing their name. That's so great. I bet she appreciates that. <laughs> Get the truth out there. Yeah, oh, that that, that story had been printed out and sent to everybody, all the descendants. So it seemed very legit. Wow. You know, it's like, if it's in print, it's, it's correct, right? I know people <laughs> believe that. Yeah. So it was neat to see that correct corrected. And Nicole found some really neat things. Like she was in a poor house in England, she and her mother, but she paid tithing. She had joined the LDS church and she paid tithing of, I don't know, one pence, something really tiny. Mm -hmm. That was sweet to find that record too. And then I had cousins that went over to England and visited that poor house. And when they told the story of Sarah Jane and her mother coming to Utah and having a successful, wonderful life, The lady who was leading the tour was in tears and she said, most people never got out of the poor house and how wonderful that your ancestor did and was able to have a better life. So that was a neat connection as well. And all because Nicole had done the research and discovered that poor house and put it out there so that my other cousin could go visit. That's so great. I love that. Yeah. So neat. 
So what about you, Diana? Do you have any stories that really resonate with you? Well, you know, I, I have, I think that any ancestor I research becomes a favorite, but there's just a couple that are special to me. One is my great grandfather, Doc Harris, and the family always, he was an institution the last 17 years of his life. And I would ask my dad, what was, what happened to grandpa Harris? And he said, oh, he just went crazy. And that bothered me that I didn't know more about him. So I decided to do a little research on him and was able to finally track down the records. He was in Venita, Oklahoma, and I found his medical records and they had diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia. And, you know, that was kind of a blanket statement for any kind of mental illness back in the day. And I was feeling really sad about him not being able, you know, just being all by himself for all that time. And then I came across one of those letters that um, my aunt had written. And this was because Nicole had sent out a request for all the children of my grandma, Eddie Bell, to write a history of her. And so my aunt Helen had written about Eddie Bell and Grandpa Harris. And she talked about how they would go visit him and they would send him cookies and packages. And so it helped me see that they had not forgotten him. And it just made me feel so ha much happier after thinking about the sad life. Cause my dad didn't write anything like that. He didn't talk about that. I don't know, difference of a man and a woman and their memories, you know, <laughs> but Aunt Helen must have, she had that written down. So anyway, Doc Harris is kind of has a special place in my heart. And then I have a couple other females, um, well, a couple females. I have my Nancy Briscoe, and she lived through the Civil War as a young woman in the Ozarks. And that was a terrible place for the Civil War for people because the fighting was just all around them. It's like your next door neighbor could be rebels, and then you could be Union. And so you'd have all this fighting. It was really, really awful. So when I learned about that, I just was so grateful she was able to move out to Texas and she raised a family and, you know, when we learn about our ancestors going through hard things, we just really appreciate the times we live in and realize we can do hard things as well. So yeah. she kind of holds a special place in my heart as well. So there's others, but that's enough. You don't have to hear I all the stories. It. I love it. I love these stories. Okay. So we talked a little bit about getting our families involved. Um, did you have any other things that you wanted to say before we talk about your podcast a little bit? I was thinking about something fun you can do with your kids or your family is to celebrate their birthdays. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Tell me some of the fun ways you do that. So one thing you can do is just on their birthday, family search actually notifies me when it's one of my ancestors birthdays or marriage or death. And so you could just talk about it and say, Hey, somebody's birthday today. Cause not every day. Can you take the time to like have a birthday cake and do all of that? Yes. Or maybe just have some ice cream and just talk about it. It doesn't have to be a formal big thing. It can just be a simple, Oh yeah. Grandpa Bobby Jean Schultz's birthday. And, and then another thing we like to do is make the food that somebody in our family liked or that they used to make. And one of my very favorite recipes is a banana cream pie. I just, mm, I think that's delicious. That's and so Southern. I love it, that. It just <laughs> so happens that my grandma, my dad's mom, she gave me the recipe and she said, I got this from my mother-in-law because my husband wanted me to make it for him. He loved it. And so it was a family recipe that was passed down from my great grandma to my grandmother and she gave it to me. So now whenever there's a family history potluck in our ward at church, which is something that I started, oh, cute. I <laughs> they that. still do it now. We always make the, the banana cream pie. And it's really fun to see other people bringing the food from their, his, their history, their background, their ethnic, you know, food that they like, or something that their grand, grandparents would make. So we like to do all kinds of different tie-ins to family history. And a lot of these things we learned at Roots Tech, that conference has so many great ideas and it's very affordable. If anybody hasn't been to Roots Tech and wants to get some easy ideas for how to incorporate family history more into your family life, that's such a great way to do it. I love it. I've tuned into that just virtually and listened to it, but it would be really fun to go in person and be at that conference. I know my parents have gone and they love it. They, they have so much fun there. 
I love what you said about celebrating families' birthdays. We did that a little bit. So my father-in-law passed away a few years ago. And so he loved fried chicken. So we like to get KFC or some other fried chicken on his birthday because we just know that he he loves it so much. And um, my great-grandpa, when we were little, he would always bring us to the house, IHOP. That was like our place. Let's go to IHOP before school. <laughs> Which is so funny to me now. And so it was really cute. This last year on his birthday, my mom sent us all pancake mix through Amazon so we could all make pancakes for his birthday. And I thought, oh, that was really thoughtful to kind of remember that because we're not going to be jumping to IHOP every every time it's his birthday. But it was fun to to make the pancakes. So now I'm such a foodie and with my food blog, part of Helping of Happiness that... I really want to dig into a little bit more about these ancestor recipes. I'm so glad you brought that up. Maybe that is my way of contributing more to my family history is through food because that feels a little more natural for me. That would be so fun. And there are so many things you can do with that. And even my kids have started collecting their favorite recipes and putting them in a book. But there's so many ways you can gather recipes. If you don't have recipes passed down, you can still look and see what what are like the common foods made in that country where my ancestors came mm. from? What did people in Denmark eat? My grandma Schultz has like two lines from Denmark. And so, so tell me we, what they eat because I have De- Danish too. And I need to know <laughs> these things. <laughs> I don't know. I, there's something written down in one of the histories in my binder, but I can't, I tried to look it up and I couldn't figure it out. So I'm going to have to ask my friend, Jenny Hansen, because she's knows more <laughs> about Scandinavian or about Danish. Okay, well, a, if you find anything uh, else, you'll have to let me know because I'm going to be on the hunt. What right, was that, Diana? Yeah. I have a little Danish cookbook that I got in Solvang, California. It was just oh, like a yes. little Danish enclave. Yes. And so my grandma is half Danish. Yeah, she's half Danish. That's right. My mom's a quarter and I'm an eighth. And so apparently growing up, you know, they would have Danish food, but I don't think she really transferred a lot of Danish cooking to our family, but I have this little cookbook. So I get it out every so often and look at it. And some of it looks very foreign to me, like weird fish dishes, pickles. (laughs) Oh, the pickled herring. I don't think you want to make that one. But they have, they have like a a cookie with flour and sugar, you know, that looks probably really good. (laughs) That we could all try. But I think food is fabulous. I think that's such a special way. Yeah, I love that connecting. That was one way I really connected with one of my grandmothers because she was a fabulous cook and was always sending me recipes or having us over just me and my little family, like without my parents or my sisters, just, you know, for a little dinner. And so I think I kind of got my love from cooking a little bit from her. And I'm seeing that now that I have a daughter that's married and she's that's one thing that we regularly text about look what i'm she look what i made mom you know i made this dinner and you know it's so i think that's a really fun way to connect the generations yeah. too because we all need to eat so may as well enjoy it so let's talk about your podcast a little bit well i was nicole and i were talking one day on the phone like we like to do about our genealogy and i think we talked for about an hour And she said at the end of that, we should have been recording that mom, because that would be a great podcast. And so I said, yeah, that would be so fun. If you can figure out the technology, I can talk. And so (laughs) she figured out the technology and how to do it. And we got started on it. So we have it. It's the Research Like a Pro Genealogy podcast. And we do all sorts of things. We share research tips. We talk about DNA. We interview experts. And a lot of the time, it's just the two of us talking because we have so many things we can share. I think that's amazing. So, and you said that that's been going since 2018. Is that right? Yeah. You on your five-year anniversary. (laughs) I love it. They think that's so great. We are surprised every time we look back and think, oh, we've been doing this for a while because it doesn't feel like that long. It's just fun. And we always have something more to talk about. I'm like, maybe we're going to run out someday, but we haven't. I love it. (laughs) That's so great. That's awesome. Well, and then you guys have this great online course that I want to talk about just a little bit too. Research like a pro. And it it's really, I'm going to let you guys describe it, but I think it's like a great way to just enter into the world of family history. So Diana, do you want to start with that? And then we'll have Nicole jump in too. Yeah. So it all started from 
getting my accreditation. I had been researching for all these years, maybe 10 years or more, and was kind of stuck on those Southern lines. But when I did accreditation to become a professional genealogist, I learned there was actually a method you were supposed to follow, you know, like you focus in on an objective and then you search the background and you, you, we make a timeline about all of the things that happened or things that you know, and then you actually do a locality guide is what we call it. And I had to do a bunch of those for accreditation on, on the Southern regions, but you learn more about the sources and what's available, the history, geography, and then because you know what's been found and what's available, you can make a research plan. I'd never ever thought about making a research plan. You know, I would just sit down I've and click, never click around. Plan at all. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was, it was this amazing. And then you follow your research and you keep a research log. And I had heard about research logs and I had tried to kind of do one, but I didn't have to really do a good one. But for a part of accreditation, you have to turn in your log for your four generation project. So I had to really I had to buckle down and figure this out. So I started doing a, a real log and I loved it. It was amazing. And I had to learn how to do real source citations and then write a report, all the stuff I'd never done. I thought it would be too hard, but when I learned how to do it, I realized anybody could do this and it makes all the difference in the world in making progress. So I started writing blog posts about each step mm. and then um, we turned that into a book and we tested it with a small study group, this whole process, and which we still do every year. We do a fall study group. We're right, finishing oh, one up right neat. now. But then we realized that not everybody wants to do a study group and just get a project done in eight or nine weeks. They might want to have a lot longer. So we turned it into an online course that you can register for and have access to for 12 months and anybody can do it on their own. So in a nutshell, that is what our Research Like a Pro process and course is all about. That is so great. And then Nicole, what, tell me a little bit about some of the things that are in that course as well. I know you have some other things that you've worked on with it. Yeah. When we decided to take it from a study group and make it an independent study online course, um, I had to figure out how to make little lesson modules and and with that, we did some quizzes just to make it fun. And then along the way, we realized one of the really successful parts of the study group and meeting live with people was that they had more accountability to finish mm -hmm. their assignments because they knew someone was going to provide peer review. So we decided to create accountability groups for our independent study group people as well so that they could have that. And so we have them fill out a survey and then they can um, find people that are able to meet at similar times. And so they can meet together too and have that um, time, even though they're working on the lessons, maybe at a slower pace or on their own time schedule, they can still have something maybe monthly or every week or every other week where they get to talk about their research with someone else. And then we do our monthly office hours with everybody, everyone in that course as well, who's doing the independent study where they can come talk to Diana and I, and we can do answers to questions. We can show them a cool new tool and it's fun to meet with them every month and get to see our independent study people too. That is brilliant. I love the accountability group. I feel like that is what makes so much success in anything that you're trying to do and how great that you guys do office hours. I bet that they just eat up that time with you hearing from people that are a few steps ahead and can teach them well more than a few steps ahead but that that's so great I love the format of that that's super fun okay so what is your favorite thing about what you do Diana do you want to go first sure so I love seeing people make progress. I get emails all the time from people who have bought the book or doing the course. They're listening to the podcast and it makes all the difference in their research. They'll say, Oh, I'm so glad I found you. And I'm doing all, all of this and I'm breaking through a brick wall. So that makes me really happy and just helping people do better with this thing that was so overwhelming to them. And they felt so befuddled by what to do. And then the other thing, since we do professional research and we have a research team and we have um, clients of which your dad is one of our great clients, it's so amazing when we help them find their family and they are so appreciative of that. We have DNA projects where we help people find 
adoptees, for instance, find their biological parents or through DNA find a long lost grandfather, things like that. So, you know, it is really touching to see the responses we get from from findings. We all have a connection to our ancestors and it's neat to help people find that and feel that. We do. I love that so much. So I have to tell you a little funny story about my husband. So his whole life growing up, he thought he was like a 16th Cherokee. That was what they were all told. My, you know, anyway, it was like this big thing. So he, he like owned it. He was always being a little silly, like making little jokes, you know, about his moccasins or about his, you know, papoose or little thing, you know, like because he was Cherokee, you can make these jokes, right? Well, and they did the DNA test. There's like nothing. He went through the family history chart. He's like, we can't find it anywhere. Like, it's not there. So he was so disappointed to find out his whole life. He thought he was this Native American. Well, then randomly out of nowhere, he gets an email from Family Search saying that Pocahontas is his direct like person you know he's a direct descendant of Pocahontas so he's has this renewed hope that possibly he's Native American again well he went to look it up and he can't find that out either but what we did find out which was actually really interesting is that he had like a great great uncle or something that lived with the Cherokee people and so that's where all of these rumors of being Cherokee came from is because he had married somebody and down that line, they were Cherokee, but there was actually no Cherokee blood in my husband. He's still determined to find something, but it was, it was just kind of funny how sometimes you think that you're something and you're not when you research a little bit. So. Oh yeah. I, my great grandmother was supposedly full-blooded Cherokee. That was a family story that was passed down too. Turns out she married a man who was a quarter Choctaw. It was a second marriage. Oh my goodness. And so there you go. That These stories come from somewhere and it's fun to track them down. But yeah, we don't it have is. a turkey. That's, that's been a really fun. That's been a really fun that's thing awesome. that we've been. Yeah, we, we need to do more research on it, but that, it's been pretty that's funny. super fun. Oh, okay. Let's see. Did you have any favorite things about what you do, Nicole? What's your favorite yeah. part? My absolute favorite thing is cracking open a difficult case and just making those discoveries where so, so I many feel like you're like Enola Holmes going into this, <laughs> solving the mystery. I love it. Exactly. It's that's exactly what it is. And I also love true crime. So it's, it's all in the same personality <laughs> trait, <laughs> detective thing. I need to know the answer. And so, yeah, there's client cases where I just feel like we found this one clue that led us down this path. And then we found DNA that solved it. And then even in my own research, I mean, honestly, my favorite is doing my own research on my own family. You know, when we teach and we um, help other people, it's really fun too. But whenever I get a moment to work on research for my own or my husband's family, I'm just in heaven. So I love that. Yeah. That's so special. Yeah. I will second that. That actually is my most favorite thing about what I do is when I get to do my own research. <laughs> I so love that. Yes. <laughs> but so often I'm doing other things that I, I love that as well. So. I was going to say, you're probably really busy doing other people's research a lot of these days since you guys are busy with that. That's so fun. Okay, well, let's tell everybody where where we can find you. We're we're going to link all these up in the show notes so they can get right there. But mm -hmm. go ahead and let us know what platforms and everywhere we can we can hear more from you. Sure. So our website is familylocket.com. And then our podcast is Research Like a Pro Genealogy Podcast. You can find our books on Amazon or any other online bookseller. So Research Like a Pro, A Genealogist Guide. And then we have our companion volume, Research Like a Pro with DNA. So if you're interested in getting started with DNA, we teach all about that as well. And when you purchase our books or join our course, we also have Facebook groups. So you can be part awesome. of the community there as well, which is fun. That's so fun. I love that. Okay. And then you have a newsletter, right, Nicole? Yes. If you want to get an update from us every Monday, we send out a newsletter. We usually start by sharing a little bit of what we've been doing. Uh, and then we have a link to our new podcast episode for the week and our new blog post for the week and any conferences we'll be at. So that comes out every Monday. Okay. I can't wait. I'm signing up for that as soon as we get off. That's going to be so fun to hear what you guys are doing. So awesome. Was there anything else you guys wanted to share? 
Well, if anybody wants to learn, you know, in a webinar format of what Research Like a Pro is all about, we have a case study webinar series where people who've taken our study group or e-course, they get on and they share the story of their research that they've been doing and, and the syllabus or a handout for that class or webinar is the report that they wrote. And it's been really fun. We started that this year and we're gearing up to come out with next year's webinars, but every month we just have a new person talk. And sometimes it's Diana or I, and, um, sometimes it's one of our people who've done it, but we love just seeing research from all different areas, all these different cases people have solved sometimes using DNA. So that's a fun thing to be part of. So if you're not wanting to do a class on how to research like a pro, you just want to see people's solutions. You can join us in our webinar series and next, um, spring, well, winter, spring in February, we are starting <laughs> depending our- on where you live, maybe spring, maybe not. <laughs> We're starting our next research, like a pro with DNA study group. And so that'll begin in the next few months. And, and that's just one of my very favorite study groups, because we talk a lot about all these questions about, do I have any native American blood? You know, is that showing up in my ancestry? We look at the ethnicity, we look at the cousin matches, the close cousins, the distant cousins, and all the tools to help you figure out and navigate that. So that's coming up too. It sounds like we need to sign up for that and figure out who we really are. Right? <laughs> oh, I love that so much. That's going to be so great. Okay. Do you have a few minutes to do our three helpful and happy questions? that be okay. So I love to include this because helping of happiness, we are, our blog is family recipes and then it's also home hacks and it's also traveling with our family and then our podcast archive. So these are all things I really like to talk about. And so I love to hear what you have to say on everything. So (laughs) my first question, which is really kind of fun that we talked about food a little bit earlier, but what is your favorite food or meal? Do you want to go first, Diana? Sure. And I always struggle with this, trying to figure this out. And finally, I just settled on a really good salad, preferably one I did not make myself like <laughs> from a restaurant. That's really amazing. So I just love salads and we were just in New York and went to this little restaurant off by the wayside and it was a maple salad dressing with mm. butternut squash roasted and like really fancy greens. And oh my goodness, it was amazing. I am going to try to recreate that salad. Yes. And it was a maple, this maple balsamic dressing was amazing. So anyway, that's my goal is to recreate that salad. That is so fun. <laughs> do you love to recreate things that you eat when you go out? Do you? Yeah, do that? I, uh-huh, I do sometimes try to do that. Not always, but a lot of times I do because I like cooking myself and I like to make yeah. it myself because I know what goes in it. I know yes, what ingredients well, I put in. And like, so for example, I was just in Boston with my husband last week and we had the most amazing pumpkin cream cheese French toast. Like it was, oh, it was so good and so fallish. And here we are like with all the leaves and everything, but that's not something that I can go have all the time, you know? And so I really wanted my family to be able to have it. So I did my best to recreate it this weekend and I'm pretty close. I'm going to need to need to niche down on the pumpkin a little bit, but I love doing that too. I think that that's, that's a really fun thing we have in common. I love that. Uh-huh. Well, my favorite, this is so ironic because (laughs) mom, you mentioned butternut squash. (laughs) Well, my favorite food is butternut squash soup. No way. Oh my gosh. You guys and your fall flavors. I love it. (laughs) And I tried to recreate the salad we had in Salt Lake City when I came to visit you, mom. And I did a little butternut squash with some goat cheese and some pecans Mm. on the greens. And it was pretty close, but I had too big of chunks of butternut squash. So I need to make them. So that's the secret. We need a smaller dice on the butternut squash. That was a good (laughs) salad too. (laughs) Well, the butternut squash soup is fun because when I was in San Francisco with uh, Nicole one time, every restaurant we went to, I would order butternut squash soup. I must've tried it from like 10 restaurants, but I think the recipe I have now is better than any of those. (laughs) No, it's so fun when you have a thing. Like I love to have avocado toast in all different places that I go so that I can, you know, so butternut squash soup, that is not one I would think would be at all the different restaurants. So do you like a butternut squash soup that's like sweeter or do you like more of the savory or the curry? Like what's your butternut squash soup that you love? The one my mom makes is so good. It has a little sweetness to it, but it's from an apple. So she roasts an apple and an onion and the squash and then buns it together. It's so good. 
but it is sprinkled with curry powder. So you get a little Okay. bit of that and then some ginger and some garlic. And it really is an amazing soup. So I think we just need to eat together. That sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> sounds so good. okay, well, let's talk about travel. What is your favorite trip you've ever been on or a dream vacation? Okay, so when I was thinking about this, I just always go back to the six months I spent on study abroad when I was in college. I was so fortunate to get to go to London, and then we did side trips to Russia, which at that time was still under Whoa, the Russia. Iron Yeah, Curtain. I mean, I'm thinking Yeah. you're going to say something near London. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. oh, no, I loved all the London stuff, but we got to go to Russia and to Israel. So I could not just pick one specific place. I just loved study abroad. And you know, at that time, you're young and you're so adventuresome. And I had two really good friends and we just had so many adventures everywhere we went. So it was, it was just fabulous. So I love I that. love it. That is so special. Oh my goodness. I can't believe that a London study abroad would go to Russia and Israel. That you just would. Oh, we, we had a director that was amazing. He's he, That's in January amazing. we got there and he said, Oh, I can get us all to Russia for $500 each. So we all called our parents. <laughs> Can we go to Russia? I need a Can little we have bit $500 more more money. dollars? But, and we went <laughs> in January. We oh are my at, gosh, that would have been it so was cold. so <laughs> cold and they were still serving soft serve ice cream on the streets. The little lady sold, sold ice cream. So we have pictures of us eating ice cream 10 below. I don't know. It was crazy, but it was, it You was pretty, would, it wouldn't even it was melt. neat. You would just be <laughs> able to. it was an, ex it was <laughs> a great experience that oh, entire that's time. incredible. Oh, I love that. That's so special. What about you, Nicole? Do you have a favorite trip or a, a dream vacation? My favorite trips are always ones where I can go snorkeling. I just think it's so beautiful to see the world under the sea. I love it. And we went to Hawaii last year with our kids and they were in heaven. They did a great job snorkeling. I was so impressed with my kids. They were seven, 10 and 12 at the time. And they just jumped in like it was no big deal. And we're off to the races. I would do that every day on vacation if I could. And I liked snorkeling also in um, Cancun. That was fun too. Yes, we love snorkeling. My husband served his mission in Cancun, so we have a special place in our heart for Cancun. We've gone back a few times, and it's beautiful snorkeling there, and the water's warm, which is nice, so that you're not in the freezing water when you're trying to snorkel. well those have been my favorite trips but my dream vacation every time I get an email from Southwest they're like $39 and I'm like oh can I go to a courthouse in the south because I really want to do research in a courthouse so badly I just I'm so curious What else is in there besides the records that Family Search has already digitized? Can I find something unique and special that's nowhere else that will solve a mystery for me? So Oh we my need gosh, to do that that. would be so cool. Well, if you find a courthouse somewhere in Texas, <laughs> come see me and I'll make you some food. awesome. That that is so fun. I that's that's not what I thought you were gonna say. I thought you were gonna say if you had a dream vacation, you'd go to the Great Barrier Reef and go snorkeling there. So <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that it ties in what you do for your business. That's so cool. Okay, last one. Do you have a home and family hack for us? Okay, so my life changed when I got an Instant Pot <laughs> Okay, because so I want to I hear about love all that the things so you make much. in this pot. <laughs> well, I think I love it so much because I uh, I used to back in the day, you know, put things in the crock pot and I still kind of do that. But sometimes I'm just so busy all during the day with various work things that I, I just, it's five o'clock and I, I need a good meal. And so I have a really good cookbook. I have a couple of them where I can just throw everything in, like have a spaghetti, I have a chicken taco soup. I can literally throw in frozen chicken and the ingredients, turn that thing on, and then I have a meal. So I love it. For anybody who works during the day or who's just busy all day and then needs a really good healthy meal at the end of the day that they forgot to start in the morning. It's fabulous. Love it. <laughs> Yay. No, I love that too. I have a nephew. He told my sister-in-law that it's the magic pot because everything that comes out of it is delicious. <laughs> that was so It's funny. kind of true. <laughs> Yeah, Adorable. it's true. So many great things in the instant pot. We, I love to do the, um, the steel cut oats in the instant pot. Do you ever Yes, do that? Oh, I do. love Mm -hmm. that. So you don't have to do Yes. them overnight. They're just done Yes. so quick. Yeah. And my two older sons, uh, one of them does rice and the other one does potatoes. 
Okay. and Instapot because it's so easy to make rice. It never is goes weird. It's always perfect. And the same Love with your potatoes. that. So it cracks me up. They're, I taught them how to use it and they love Passing it. it, passing it on. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Nicole, what about you? What do you have a phone uh, <laughs> a home or family hack for us? Yeah, I have since I have my two little babies and then my older kids. I was kind of bummed when <laughs> all my kids, my three older kids were like finally in school all day. And I was like, yes, I'm gonna have time to myself. And then we had another baby and I was like, oh, now I have little babies at home again. So, and by then I was like working. So my hack, Oh yeah, it's a whole new ball game. <laughs> <laughs> you have little my, and you're trying to work. Oh. my hack, since I just had my other baby. So I have two little babies. Now I have a two-year-old and a three-month-old. And so recently I asked people at church, does anybody want to babysit? I will pay. And I said, how much I would pay. I said, what days and how long? And right away, someone responded and they were like, yeah, it fits in with my schedule perfectly. You know, she works at the school in the afternoon as a, the music teacher. And then in the morning she does crossing guard. And then the hours from eight to 11, she comes home from school, drives right by my house and goes to her parents' house. So she picks up my two-year-old, takes him to her house for three hours. And then during that three hour block, I make myself work on work stuff that I'm going to get paid for because I'm paying a babysitter. So I, it really forces me to get like work done on things where I know I'm going to have a return on that investment. Yes. I love that. No, I think that that time block is so <laughs> important and using it wisely. That's so smart. and it's forced I'm just me to schedule like the other things that I need to do during other times. So I now I'm, I'm in a really good schedule where I know from six to seven, I help my kids get ready for school. I work on dishes and that kind of stuff. Then from seven to eight, I finish up that kind of household stuff and I get my toddler ready to go feed the baby. Then at eight o'clock, I know I'm working. And then at 11, we have lunch and then we have the nap time. And so I feel like I'm in a good schedule where I can get my work done, also the housework done. And then in the evenings when the kids are home after school, you know, from three till bedtime, it's just homework, helping the kids, driving them places and all that stuff. So I think that's brilliant, though, because I feel like you're more productive, but also you feel less guilt in whatever you're because sometimes I get like that if I'm not structured. It's like, well, I'm thinking about work while I'm with my kids and I'm thinking about my kids while I'm at work or, you know, so you it just gets a little bit too, too messy, I think. Mm -hmm. But you can really hone in on what you're supposed to be doing. And then it's like, OK, well, it's not 8 to 11 and I'm doing kids right now. I'm not going to I'm just going to put work away. It'll have to be later. So. Yeah. <laughs> right. I And think I found that's really that the, smart. the money part is so motivating to me for some reason. And I found the same thing with exercise that I paid for an app. that helps me exercise and tells me to do certain things on every day. And they had a little promotion where you can get your money back. If you purchase the app for six months, you get your money back if you run 26 miles. So I was like, Oh, well, I'll totally do that to get my money back. <laughs> so if there's like a monetary accountability involved, Yeah. that somehow works for me. So find whatever it is for you that gets you motivated to work on your goals and do your things because it really makes you want to do it more. <laughs> I love it. Those are brilliant ideas. Well, thank you so much, Nicole and Diana. You're both just wonderful. This has been so fun for me to get to know you guys and hear about Family Locket and the amazing things that you're doing for everybody and for your own family history. And I just can't wait for everybody to start doing it, me included. So thank you so much. well you're so welcome thanks for having us on it's been a fun hour talking with you We've loved this and it's been fun to get to know you too. And I can't wait to go see more family recipes from your blog and make sure that when you make your family recipe book, you share it with us. yes I will I actually do have <laughs> one cookbook out <laughs> Yay. so yeah we have one out I'm in the process of making a video for every recipe It's a lot of work to put everything on video, but it's been really fun. So best ever babysitter cookbook. You'll get a little slice and it's recipes that are like easy enough for like preteens on up, beginners on up to do. So, so go grab our best ever babysitter cookbook on Amazon. We've got that linked up for you in the show notes. And don't forget to join our VIP email list so that you can get show notes and recipes and all that bonus content. We just love you so much being here. Thank you so much. If you haven't followed or subscribed to the show, make sure you do that so you don't miss an episode. Have a wonderful day.